Sadly, I can't. If you've uh, been here before, or if it's your first time, I'd like to welcome you along. Let's just start with prayer. Dear Lord, I know that you're here with us this morning, and that's great. I thank you for that. For we need you, I need you. And I pray that we glimpse a small part of your love this morning, in your name. Amen. I want to tell you a story this morning. I've let my imagination fill in some of the parts. But the story, this story, comes from God's Word, the Bible. And like all stories, it's all good stories. It starts long, long, long ago. How do you think the Creator felt? God had poured out His love for His children. And you could tell. For when God made man, it was different. Everything else, God just spoke into existence. Let there be light, it was there. Let dry land appear, and from nowhere it came. Let let spring forth trees and plants and vegetation, and they were there. The unique power of God was evident in every action. The power to create, the power to imagine and make it happen just by his spoken word. But when God made man, it was different. It was thoughtful. It was intense. You see, God bent down into the dust of the ground and with his own hands he began to sculpt a wondrous form. And when he was satisfied, yeah, that's just what I want. God lowered his face and he breathed. And this form was permeated with life. From his own hands, from his own breath, God created the first man, Adam. And from Adam, God made Eve. Can you imagine those first few moments? Like any proud parent, God gave Adam a a hug of welcome and said, look around. And Adam looked and it was glorious beyond all belief. Everywhere he looked, he saw so much colour, so much life and beauty, indescribable. It's yours to care for. It's yours to live in. It's your home. It's all yours to enjoy except for one tree. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. For if you eat of its fruit, you will die. Just trust me on this. Don't go near that tree. Well, Adam and Eve began their life together. Every day, exploring and discovering, learning about their home. And every day, God would come down and visit with them. And Adam and Eve so looked forward to each visit to spending time together with God. And God looked forward to it as well. For he could come and he could walk and talk and laugh with his children. And he enjoyed being welcomed into their home. But now, it was different. God knew. Lucifer. They ventured near the forbidden tree. 
And there in wait was Lucifer. Come close. Oh, we shouldn't. Nothing will happen. Just come over and chat. Well, okay. And Lucifer spun his lies. Here, have a bite while we chat. Well, God said we shouldn't. And I suppose he said you would die. Well, yes. Well, you won't. In fact, you'll just begin to live. And you'll become like God. God just wants to control you. He wants to hold you back. Here, eat, enjoy. And sadly, they did. They chose to put their trust in Lucifer. And in so doing, they broke the heart of God. God is a tyrant. He doesn't love you. You'll see. No. No. But it was too late. Who was Lucifer? He was the one. Right on. He was the one who caused rebellion in heaven. Lucifer was an angel, one of special power and beauty and glory. And he was held in high esteem by the rest of the angels. But he came to believe his own press and he believed that he should be worshipped like a god. He took this to God and God said, no. Didn't like the answer, so he spread his rebellion and he was forced to leave. And when he left heaven, he took a third of the angels with him and he took a heart full of hate for God. Today we know Lucifer as Satan, the great dragon, the devil. And now Satan is in God's face. He's here to gloat. Did you see what happened? (laughs) How silly, of course you did. I told you, your laws are ridiculous. No one can keep them. No one wants to. Don't eat the fruit. Well, why not? Now, what are you going to do? You said if they disobey, it would mean death. Come on, all heaven is watching. Do it. Keep your law. Your law requires death. Kill them. That's your way of justice. Or do you let them live? Do you break your own stupid law? That would show mercy, wouldn't it? Justice or mercy? What's it going to be? You can't do both. I left heaven with a lot of your angels and I'm coming back for the rest. It's over. I've won. What's it going to be? You can't be both just and merciful. What are you going to do? Lucifer, now God speaks. Wait and see, but for now, leave. Now God comes to visit Adam and Eve as he always had done. Today, it was different. Normally they would rush up, eager to see him. But today was different. They were hiding. Their guilt made them feel uncomfortable in God's presence. So God called. No reply. What did God lose way back there in Eden? He lost something that was so precious, so vital to him. Our king, our creator, lost the special close relationship of love and trust that he had once enjoyed with Adam and Eve. And that loss caused our God 
the most intense pain. However, God was not prepared to let mankind perish, not without a fight, but how? Firstly, God needed to speak with Adam and Eve. In the background, Satan listens, full of contempt. First lesson, you can't hide from God. And now Adam and Eve face their creator, fearful of what might happen. How things had changed. Here they are quivering in his presence. What have you done? God asks. And out it poured. Guilt, excuses, blame, questions. What's happening? Why is it so different? Will it ever go back to the way it was? And so God explained, plainly, simply, what they had done, really done and what the consequences of their actions were. Most tragically, death. Yes, gloated Satan to himself, death, yes, and pain for you, my Lord, he sneered. Adam wept, let me die. Surely that will pay the price. Yes, it would, said God. It would pay the price for your sin. And what of Eve? Surely my, my death is enough for both. With great sadness, God said no. Your death would be enough to pay the price for your sin alone. And you would be gone forever. And Eve? What would happen to Eve? Eve must die too. Oh, what have we done? We're finished. Oh, yes, you are, and so is this tyrant God, cried the devil to himself. Finished? Never. For now Jesus steps forward, and he placed his arms around his children, and he said, I will pay the price. Lord, what do you mean? I will die in your place. And my death will pay the price for all mankind, for all sin. And one day we will put an end to sin. And I will return to this earth to reclaim every person who chooses to put their faith in me as their saviour. Adam, Eve, yes, you will die. But if you believe what I have just explained, you will live again. And we will walk and talk and laugh together just as we had always done. That is my promise. Do you trust me? Yes, Lord. Yes, we do. Satan could hardly believe his ears. Jesus, their creator, is going to die for these worthless worms. No, it's not going to happen. I'll make sure of that. I'll destroy you, Jesus, and I'll destroy your mission. Just one little sin is all it'll take. One little slip-up and you're gone. And I'll see to it. I'll wipe the name of God from the minds of these people. They'll never remember you again. Now we fast forward in our story thousands of years. Adam and Eve are long gone. Their bodies have returned to the dust from which they were formed. And on this earth, the war for human souls 
is fought. The war is to clear God's name and to save his creation. And it's fought in blood, in tears, in lies and in truth. The war is waged between Satan and God. Satan who wants to destroy, God who wants to save. The prize, the prize is you and me. Now in our story, we come beside Joseph and Mary as they cradled their newborn child. To say this child is special is just unbelievably inadequate. For this child is Jesus, the creator God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet here he is, soiling his nappy, getting wind, throwing up his mother's milk, a helpless human baby, born to save us just as he promised. Born in in the normal way, but with no human involvement in his conception. He was placed in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit. For this baby is fully human and fully God. And if you can explain that, then you should be out there creating planets. I certainly can't explain it. But Jesus was born, just as he promised, into the nation of Israel. Israel was a special nation raised by God to herald the coming Messiah, to tell his story to the world. But Satan had been working hard on Israel, especially its religious leaders. And Satan was so successful, so much so that these leaders failed to recognise Christ. In fact, they grew to hate him and they worked hard to turn the people away from Jesus from their saviour. The religion these priests promoted was one of rules and consequences. The God they presented was a God of punishing authority, harsh, judgmental, a God whose laws were more important than the lives of people, a tyrant God, just as the devil said and just as the devil wanted the world to believe. So Jesus had two major goals for his mission. Number one, to live his life in obedience to God's law and to die a sinful, perfect sacrifice to ensure that he paid the price for all sin. Second goal, to show people what God is really like. Yes, God is a God of justice, but the force that underpins God's universe is love. God is love. In his word, there is this claim. God's love is patient. His love is kind. It is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God's love always protects. There is hope there in his love, always. You can trust his love, always. And God's love never fails. And Jesus was there to show by his life that the words were accurate. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, Satan attacked Jesus' mission from every angle. While still a baby, he tried to have him killed by Herod. God protected him. When Jesus was at his weakest, 
Satan tried to get him to sin. Just the smallest one would do. But Jesus hated sin. He knew what sin was capable of and he recognised the devil's lies and Satan failed. And so Jesus began his ministry. He healed, he taught, he performed miracles, he loved, he listened, he cared, he wept for his people, he accepted, he forgave. Some believed he was the Messiah, many didn't. And all the time, Satan was in his ear. You're wasting your time in this filthy place. Look at them. They don't care. Oh, they love you when you heal. But they won't follow you. They are worthless, miserable wretches and they only care if there's something in it for them. Smarten up. Come on. Give up. Go home. Leave them to me. But Jesus loved these people. Their taunts, their unbelief, their hard-headed attitude did not diminish his love, not for one second. He had given his word to his Father and to mankind. He could not and he would not give up. His love would not allow it. Did Jesus find it easy? No. He repeatedly spoke to his father for assurance, for guidance, for strength. Come now to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew that his ministry was done, it was over. And his attention now turned fully to the cross. He knew what he must endure, pain, torture, both physical and emotional. But the thing he so dreaded, was the moment when hanging on that cross he would have the guilt for every sin ever committed forced upon his soul. He would feel it, the sorrow, the sadness, but most of all he would feel separated from his father for the very first time and that was something he did not want to endure. His father, his rock. In the garden he was alone. He fell to his knees in agony, in deep stress. Sweat poured from his body and fell like pools of blood around him. He cried out in desperation, Father, if there is any other way, the future of mankind seemed to hang in the balance. Satan thought he had him. Father, if there is any other way, there wasn't. Father, then give me strength and let your will be done. And Jesus rose to his feet, empowered. Our Saviour once again moved stubbornly towards the cross. Events now moved rapidly and Jesus was arrested and brought before the high priests. These evil men wanted Jesus gone. They wanted him to be put to death. They needed a reason. Anything would do. And so there was all these stories concocted, but none would stick. And finally they asked him directly, Are you the Son of God? And Jesus replied, I am. Blasphemy, they screamed. He must die. And now, possessed by blind fury, their hatred boiled over. 
They blindfolded him, they taunted him, they mocked him and they cursed him and they spat in his face and finally Jesus was given a savage beating. Now these priests had no authority to, coo- to put someone to death. So they dragged Jesus off to the palace of the Roman governor, Pilate. It was still early Friday morning. What are the charges, demanded Pilate, not too happy to be involved. They rattled off their story and Pilate was deeply suspicious. He believed Jesus to be innocent. Now, it just so happened that this time was Passover time. Now, Passover is one of the many Jewish festivals. And Pilate fastened on this because it was a custom that a Jewish prisoner would be released by the uh, Roman authorities. So Pilate thought, okay, I'll give them a choice. Here we've got Barabbas, a violent murderer, or Jesus. I mean, surely, surely they're going to choose Jesus to go free. So Pilate raised his voice to the packed crowd. Who do you want to go free, he asked. Give us Barabbas, they shouted. Pilate was stunned and desperately cried, what do you want me to do with this Jesus fellow? Crucify him, they shouted. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed again to the crowd, but they screamed even louder, no, crucify him, no, crucify him. Well, scared of a riot, Pilate succumbed. He had Jesus scourged, he was flogged until the skin was ripped from his body. A crown of thorns was forced down upon his forehead. They mocked his kingship. They beat him with sticks, all the while screaming insults in his face. And now Jesus, bloodied but not broken, bruised, weakened, now they forced him towards the cross. All this time, like an evil puppeteer, Satan and his demons were manipulating anyone all that they could. Satan knew his time was almost gone. He had to break Jesus' will. He had to fail. He's got to fail. Give up. They're not worth it. They hate you. Give up. But Jesus did not falter. Jesus remained loyal to his Father's will. Our Saviour remained committed to the promise he had made to Adam way back in Eden. I will die in your place. So driven, empowered by raw, pure love, Jesus staggered step by agonising step towards his destiny, Golgotha. The name is just eerie in itself, the place of the skull. Satan claimed Jesus, claimed God to be a tyrant, to be cold and distant. Everything Jesus did while on this earth proved the claim to be a complete and utter lie. Jesus met with people, he taught, he cared, he loved, he healed, he shared their joy, he wept with them, he forgave, he brought life and hope wherever he went. That is who God is. You have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. There is no doubt God loves 
God is love. And God's love never failed. And we can trust our Lord simply because every aim, every hope, every action and every word that God speaks is drenched in love, pure, raw love for you and I. Golgotha. There your Saviour was nailed to a cross and that cross was picked up and it was rammed into the place that was prepared for it. Agony, intense agony. And Jesus hung, despised, rejected, placed either side of Jesus were two thieves. You see, there were three crosses that morning. Two thieves there to die also. One thief turned and looked at Jesus and saw a fool. Aren't you the Christ? Didn't you say you were going to save us all? Well, now would be a really good time. The second thief looked at Jesus and saw the Messiah. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus turned to this desperate, dying man and he said, I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. Yes, I will remember you. No, you are saved. No, you are saved. One thief died, angry, struggling, cursing, hopeless. The other also died, but now at peace accepted, calmed by a newfound hope. The difference? He had met his Saviour. It was now midday and darkness covered the scene. Maybe the father decided to shield his son's final agony from a cruel world. For now the moment that Jesus had so dreaded had arrived. The sin of mankind the guilt, the pain for every sin ever committed was forced upon our Saviour's head. And we cannot even come close to understanding how Jesus felt. The tearing, searing pain that Jesus endured. The special, unique agony of a sinless Saviour wearing our guilt, all guilt, paying the penalty for all mankind and the agony of this moment impacts deep into the, our saviour's soul this is the time he so feared this was what stressed him so much back in Gethsemane if there is any other way and Jesus cries out the feeling of separation from his father his rock tearing the words from his soul from his lips my God my God why have you abandoned me then silence until Jesus summoned his last ounce of energy and he called out desperately, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he breathed his last. Jesus died alone for you. This was by now late on Friday afternoon. And Jesus' body was hurriedly taken down, wrapped and placed in a tomb. 
You see, the authorities knew what Jesus had claimed. He said, if I die, I will raise, rise back to life in three days. Yeah, right. So they rolled a large stone across the, uh, the, temp- the entrance of the tomb and they sealed it with the official Roman seal. And Roman soldiers stood guard to ensure that no one could come in, steal the body and then claim, look, he's risen. Friday ended. Saturday, the Sabbath, came and went and Jesus rested. Sunday arrived, the third day. And I can imagine all heaven rejoicing for God called his fastest angel and he said, go. Go and welcome my son because he will live again. So this angel roars through God's universe. He smashes through Earth's atmosphere. He throws on the afterburners and he pulls up in such a blaze of glory that these hardened Roman soldiers have seen it all pass out on the ground in shock. The stone is rolled away, no problem, and the angel goes inside to greet and to worship the risen Saviour. Jesus is alive. He has done it. God's plan of salvation is now complete. Sin is is defeated. Sin's curse is broken. Life has overcome death. Because Jesus lives, we can have life and life eternal. Now we have hope, real hope, for the victory that Jesus won, he will give to you if you choose to trust him. Satan had challenged God. You can't do it, he boasted. You can't satisfy both justice and mercy. It's not not possible. Punish or save. Which is it going to be? It's one or the other. Your law has exposed you as a tyrant. You can't be both just and merciful. It's not possible. You can't do it. But on the cross, Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled God's law and he saved his people. Justice required death as the penalty for sin and when Jesus died, his death paid the penalty in full for all mankind. Justice was fully satisfied. And mercy, what Jesus did, the raw sacrificial gift that Jesus gave, his own life given freely for a rebellious undeserving human race. We deserve justice, but Jesus gave us mercy. That's love. That's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. On the cross, justice and mercy met and embraced in a way the devil never saw coming. The barrier that sin had placed between God and man is now gone and it is gone forever. It is torn from its foundations. Now we can come home. Back to our story and we shift forward another several thousand years and we come to today, to you and I, for we are a part of this story. You see, the war against sin is won, but the battles continue. At stake is the soul, the destiny of every man, every woman. What does Satan fight for? 
He wants to destroy you. He wants to tear you apart. He wants to tear you away from God. He wants you to either reject God outright or just ignore him. He doesn't matter which. He's quite happy with either. What does God fight for? He wants back what was lost in Eden. The relationship that he enjoyed with Adam and Eve, God wants back with us. He wants us to be a family again. This is the essence, the core of the Bible story. God loves you and he wants to establish, to build a relationship, a saving relationship. God wants to walk and talk with you every day. What do we need to do? How do we initiate this relationship? Well, if you're waiting to be good enough to go to God, to be accepted by him, that's not what God is looking for. There is no test. There are no standards to reach. There are no forms to sign. There's no boxes to tick. There's no hoops to jump through. Just turn to Jesus and like the thief on the cross, say, Lord, remember me. Revelation 3.20, can we put that one up on the screen? This is Jesus' promise. Oh, there it is. (laughs) His words are recorded in this text. Revelation 3.20 Here I am. I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm at the door. I want to enter. I want to be a part of your life. Do you trust me? What do we need to do? Open the door. That's it. And Jesus promises, I will come in. If you see something in Jesus, something your life needs, something more than this world can offer, trust his love. Take the step. Invite him into your life. It's that simple. And then build that relationship. How? Firstly, talk to Jesus every day. Tell him how you feel. If you're happy, tell him. If you're sad, if you're struggling, tell him. If you're unsure, tell him. If you're angry or if you feel like dancing around the room, tell him. He cares. He listens. He loves. Talk to him. Include him in your life every day. And secondly, commit. Commit to spend time with Jesus daily, learning about him, walk with him, open his word and say, Lord, please talk to me today. Open his word and learn how much he loves you. Learn what Jesus stands for. Learn how much you can trust him. Learn what his promises are for your future. Learn to rely on his wisdom, his leading. Learn to be guided by him. Know that you are saved. Learn to trust the truth. Know that Jesus will keep his promise. Know that he will return one day and take us home to be with him forever. Trust that your destiny is secure. Learn that you are a son, a daughter of the king. Never worthless. You are connected. But be prepared for a fight. Because it is never easy.
For Satan will battle to destroy any connection you have with God. He will find out where he can hurt you the most. And he will pick away. You're too busy. You really think God is interested in you? He doesn't want to hear from you. You're not good enough. He will never forgive you for that again and again and again and so on and on and on it goes. He's got a million lives. Ignore them. Fight to know your Jesus. Because Jesus will fight to keep you close. You know, walking, talking with Jesus daily is not just a nice religious thing to do. It is absolutely vital because if you cease to build the relationship that you have with Christ, Satan will wedge his way in and he will fill the void and he will shift your focus so gradually that you won't even feel it. You will start to grow apart from Christ. He will still be there, but little by little, drip by drip, piece by piece, your relationship, your focus on Jesus will wither and die. Don't let it happen. Keep the communication lines buzzing. Surrender your life to Jesus. Open your life to your Saviour and refresh, just like this uh, gathering is called, refresh that decision every day. I want to finish with John 3.16. Just a couple of verses from God's Word. It's a really well-known text and it goes like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it's a wonderful promise. But I want to tell you that Satan even attacks that promise. Take the word of a grumpy old man who has walked away from his God on more than one occasion. When I walked, Satan would attack and he would say, those promises are not for you. They're for others, maybe, but they're not for you. He doesn't love you. Look at you. You're worthless. But look what happens if we go the next one up. Look what happens if we personalise that text. For God so loves me. that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And because I believe in him, I will not perish. I have eternal life. Eternal life. In Revelation 21, there is... Can we just leave that one up there, by the way, for a minute? In Revelation 21, there is a promise that Jesus will return and take us home. There is a description of where he's taking us to and he says, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with us. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. No more death. No more mourning or crying or pain for that way of doing things is gone and it is gone forever. The legacy of the devil. You watch the news and don't you get sick of it? Killing, death, suffering, misery agony. That's what our world is just surrounded by. That is the legacy of the devil. And one day God promises that will be gone. No more sickness, no more stress, no more pain, 
No more crying, no more dying. If that is the future you want, then look to Jesus. That is what he promises. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he gave his son for you, if you are willing to trust his love, will you read that through with me just one time? Let's read it together. For God so loves me that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, and because I believe in him, I will not perish. I have eternal life. I need to remind myself of that every day. Maybe you do too. Finally, some thoughts from Psalms. Um, yeah, the last one, thanks. From, some thoughts from Psalms. Now, these words were written by just ordinary blokes. Fellows that had chosen to put their lives in God's hands. But listen to how it speaks to us, living today in a world full of turmoil and fear. With the Lord as my shepherd, I have all I need. Not all I want, but I have all that I need. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in troubled times. Because God is with us, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains fall and crumble, though nations are in uproar, though all seems chaos, for the Lord Almighty is with us and he says, be still, be still and know that I am God. We need fear no more. For surely his goodness and love will follow all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that God loves you. Be still and know that when you talk, he listens, he cares, he loves. God's love never fails. Let's pray. Loving Father, Lord Jesus, you have sacrificed so much for us. Please give us the strength and courage to spend time with you each day. Help us to trust your love. Help us to trust enough to surrender our lives to your care. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. We don't deserve it, but you have given it. We need you, Lord, today. We need you every day. And Lord, we are still, and we know you are our God. Thank you that in Jesus' name you do remember us. Amen.